Welcome to season two of the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. This is the podcast where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Be sure to subscribe at precisionmedicinepodcast.com to get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox. Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast. I'm Jerome Madison, and today we have Dr. Mark Moasser, Professor of Medicine at the Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Moasser, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. I've read many bios that describe you as a physician scientist. Can you tell us about your oncology training and, and why you chose this path in medicine? Sure. I trained in the Northeast, uh, Penn, Tufts, Cornell, spent a lot of years in New York, and my training was in a hybrid path, both clinical training, learning how to manage patients, take care of patients, fellowship in oncology, learning how to take care of cancer patients, as well as a scientific training, postdoctoral training in the laboratory, learning how to do laboratory research, ask scientific questions, and make scientific discoveries. Uh, that's what's called a physician scientist. Uh, learn two related sets of tools and techniques, and and you go into an academic career where not only do you deliver care to patients with cancer, but you also try to push the frontiers, try to make the treatments better, try to discover new mechanisms, new types of treatments, and that's the career of a physician scientist. Cancer training was at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. And then about 16 years ago, I came to San Francisco to UCSF. Um, the uh, environment here is extremely conducive to cancer research and to science in general. And there's an incredible community of scientists here to facilitate uh, this kind of research. The, the cancer research requires a lot of uh, collaborations, people from different areas of science working together. It can't be done just in one focused area. And so here we have a critical mass of a lot of people from different fields of science that work together. And uh, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Did you have a mentor along the path of your training that really influenced you to hone in on building a translational lab or going in that direction? Yeah, well, mentorship in academia is always very important. And my mentor, and especially in the early parts of your career, is when a mentor is critical. And my mentor was a doctor called Larry Norton in New York. He's a breast cancer specialist, and mm -hmm. he is very supportive of science, and he's the one who was a key mentor in my early years. Yeah. You mentioned there at UCSF, you have a translational lab. It's, it's called the Moasser Lab. Yeah. And the HER2 oncogene has been one of your long-term research focuses and that this year's, I guess, virtual ASCO meeting, Dr. Nancy Lynn at the Dana-Farber Cancer Center presented findings from the HER2 CLIMB trial, which has also been subsequently published in JCO. So this trial demonstrated to cadenib in combination with trastuzumab and capecitabine to be the first to improve overall survival in HER2-positive patients with brain metastasis. How important is this for breast cancer patients? It's important. It's important 
for a couple of reasons. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I work in the area of HER2. My research program has to do with HER2. My own research program has more to do with the fundamentals of this oncogene, how it functions, and what are the challenges in targeting it. But there, there's different dimensions to the research in the area of HER2. One of the areas is pharmacology. And then this, this recent tocatinib study, or tocatinib, the drug tocatinib itself, is an advance in the realm of pharmacology. There are a number of drugs that, that have been developed over the past 20 years to target this HER2 oncogene in these cancer cells through various mechanisms. And one of the shortcomings of all these drugs has been that they don't enter the area of the brain. Our brain has a protective capacity. It won't let drugs inside it. And that's because the brain is very sensitive and needs to protect itself from toxins and molecules and, and drugs. And so one of the challenges of uh, cancer therapy is if the cancer enters the brain, it's much harder for us to treat it because our drugs don't get in there. However, there are drugs. Drugs can be modified to kind of get through the barrier and get into the brain. And so tocatinib is an advance in this realm. There have been other small molecule or two inhibitors in the past. They don't get into the brain that well. This one is an advance because they it does get into the brain. And it's one of the first ones that does get into the brain very well. And this is particularly relevant to her two positive breast cancer patients because that's one of the areas where this cancer homes into likes to go to. And it's one of the major causes of mortality in patients with advanced HER2 positive breast cancer. So this is a big deal in the realm of pharmacology, a drug that can get across this barrier and get into the brain and uh, it'll make a big impact. Yeah. Some of the findings in the outcomes that she talked about is the improved intracranial response, as, as you mentioned, the, the mechanisms such, the reduced risk of central nervous system progression and reduced risk of death yeah. by nearly 50% for patients in this particular study. I guess the question is, and it's described as a small molecule, mm-hmm. TKI. Well, what is a small molecule, TKI, and what have we learned from precision medicine that led to developing these particular agents? Yeah, so the research in this area of HER2 has been going on since the late 1980s when HER2 was discovered. It's one of the the earliest oncogenes discovered, the oncogene being a gene that becomes abnormal in a cell and makes it malignant, makes it cancerous. And this is one of the principal drivers of this disease, the abnormal function of this gene and its protein product. And so a a central paradigm of modern oncology is to treat these cancers by developing a drug that very specifically inhibits that bad oncogene or oncoprotein. And that's what precision medicine is all about. That's what targeted therapy is all about. And now there are different types in the realm of drug development smart drug development, there are different categories. There are drugs that on the the molecular size, they're very, very big and they can't be taken orally. They have to be administered intravenously because the GI tract will destroy them. And then there are other drugs that are very small and they can be taken orally. They'll make it through the GI tract and get absorbed and they fit into certain pockets within this HER2 protein. And it's because of their small size. They're called small molecules. And their design is so exquisite that they, of all the proteins in the body, they almost selectively go into this hole, this pocket, and this protein called HER2. And this is the basic 
concept of targeted therapy or precision medicine, designing a drug that specifically attacks the protein that you have in mind that is the driver of this cancer. So there have been a number of drugs, targeted drugs for her to develop of all categories. There are large molecule antibody drugs that are given intravenously. You mentioned trastuzumab, that's one of them. And there are several small molecules that have been developed over the years that uh, taken orally, their pills, and tucatinib that you mentioned is the latest one of those. Yeah. You've had your finger on the pulse of early phase clinical trials for, for quite some time. And in fact, we became aware of you through Laura Holmes Haddad, which was one of your patients whom you helped enroll into a PARP inhibitor trial almost or equal to 10 years ago which she said saved her life as a young mother of two toddlers. As you know, I mean, she's now a published author, a speaker, patient advocate working to influence healthcare policy for greater access to clinical trials in precision medicine. And fortunately, we're honored that she's been a guest on the Precision Medicine Podcast. And for those listening, full disclosure, both Laura Holmes, a dad, and Dr. Mawasser know this, so they gave us permission to talk about this. But... The trial that she participated in back then, I believe it ultimately didn't reach its objective endpoints, but she in that trial was a super responder. And since that time, there have been over 100 trials involving PARP inhibitors in different cancer types. As a researcher, can you share your perspective on treating cancer you know, based on the tissue of origin versus treating patients based on biological expression of their tumor. Is, is this within reach? Yes, this is within reach. This is what we're doing now, but it's a evolving field. This is the cutting edge of cancer therapy, and it's a rapidly evolving field, not only in our fundamental understandings and our scientific understandings, but in drug development, newer and newer drugs, better and better drugs, and better and better diagnostics, trying to identify what the abnormalities are in cancers. Uh, so Laura was right at the uh, cutting edge. She's a pioneer. She's a true champion in her own right. She developed uh, cancer at a time when we were only beginning to understand what the scientific basis for this cancer was. It had an abnormal gene that gets defective in some breast cancers, is inherited, and causes breast cancer at a young age. And we were beginning to understand how can we treat these cancers better. And there were some initial suggestions from the scientific literature that this new class of drugs can particularly treat this cancer very well because of the defect that these cancers have in uh, DNA replication. And so it was based on those very early ideas that we enrolled Laura in one of these early uh, clinical trials. It was, these drugs were just beginning to be tested in clinical studies. And it turned out very well for her. At that time, we didn't have any proof of this, but it was just a scientific hypothesis. Uh, now, years later, this is well established. Uh, about four of these drugs are already FDA approved and used commonly. So she was kind of at the, the very cutting edge of this uh, in her time. But this is the paradigm for precision medicine, basically. These days, we're doing a lot of newer, newer diagnostics. When a patient develops breast cancer or any other type of cancer, we take a piece of that tumor or a biopsy or from the surgical resection. We uh, subject it to some ex very cutting-edge, extensive uh, testing, genetic testing that looks at a whole bunch of genes, 500 or so cancer genes inside the uh, cell to see what has become deranged. 
what are the driving genes in this cancer? There's a lot of uh, information now about how to treat particular genetic abnormalities in cancer cells. And this is rapidly evolving, rapidly expanding, not only the diagnostics, the drugs, and uh, it's a changing world. Yeah. In your lab, can you tell us more about your team and kind of what the priorities are? Because, I mean, you've been engaged in, as you mentioned, in this particular space for quite a while. But what are some of the priorities that, that you see that your lab is working on? So our lab works on some oncogenes, in particular HER2, which you mentioned, and our focus is more on the long-term rather than the short-term. There are new drugs being developed for HER2, and you mentioned some of them. These are incremental progress. They're better than the ones before. The patients benefit from them. But the principal challenge, the holy grail of cancer therapy is if we can make eradicate the cancer, if we can make it yeah. go away and never come back. You know, right now, patients with advanced breast cancer who, in whom the cancer has spread to other areas of the body, we have drugs, we have treatments, we can prolong life, but ultimately we can't save that life, unfortunately. The long-term vision of myself and our uh, research program and many others is to bring about something, uh, a type of treatment that can eradicate this cancer, that can cure somebody for, from advanced stage. That would be a watershed event in the history of medicine, but it still remains uh, kind of a holy grail. So our, our focus is on the best, and I'm, I'm interested in, in this oncogene or two, because we've learned so much about it. I think this is one of the subtypes of cancer that we're closest to actual eradication, to actual cure from advanced stage. And so I want, I want to be part of the effort to take this to the finish line. And this involves deeper understanding of how this functions. How does this receptor, this HER2 receptor function? Who are its talking partners? How does it engage with them? What do we, the drugs we have that, uh, that target it, they work, but they work only for a duration of time. How can we make them work better? Why is it that they only work for a certain duration? And so we're asking the questions that are the, the key questions to take us to that finish line. They, they won't give return in short term, but they hopefully give return in the long term. So we, we ask these fundamental questions in our research program. Yeah. As a researcher, what are your perspectives around treating cancer patients based on the tissue of origin versus treating patients based on the biological expression of their tumor? Yeah, well, this is definitely an evolving field. More and more, we're moving towards uh, treating a patient based on the biology of that cancer. And the way we define that is by looking at the genes, what genes are abnormal, and what are the precision targeted types of therapies that we can apply for the treatment of that patient. And this involves progress in, along several lines. This is a complex landscape. Not only the diagnostics are improving day by day. We didn't have this before where we can test all the genes in the cancer. Now we have it. There's uh, more and more ways of testing the genes, not only the gene structure, the sequence, but the gene expression, the epigenetics of it, the proteins. Some of these require biopsies. Biopsies are sometimes difficult to get when it's internal organs. Now tests are being developed that can detect it in the bloodstream. Genes that broke off from the cancer and are floating in the bloodstream at low levels, these can now be detected, and this avoids the need for the biopsy. So the diagnostics are rapidly improving. The drugs are rapidly improving. We're getting better and better drugs, more selective, safer, more effective. The other thing, though, is that precision targeting is not a one-time thing. 
you realize that when you treat cancer with a precision target with a very effective drug, it works, works for a while, and then the cancer learns to evade it, develops resistance. Then once we understand this, second generation drugs are made. So we go after it with the second generation drug. Then after a while, the cancer learns to evade that as well. Then you come up with third generation drugs, etc. And that just continues. So precision medicine is going after a moving target. It's kind of like a chess game. We make a move, the cancer makes a move. We hope to come up with the checkmate eventually. But it's a back and forth and it's a moving target. And the field is evolving rapidly. The drugs are improve, uh, evolving. The diagnostics are evolving. And the computational algorithms are evolving. These are very important as well. And they ultimately, we, we try to not only treat the cancer, but try to stop its evolution of developing resistance and evading us. And hopefully to get to the finish line and eradicate it. There are newer challenges that are emerging in the field. One is heterogeneity. Sometimes the cancer is not just one biology, one gene. There's, it has five flavors and you have to treat them differently. And this is another challenge. And sometimes we have to go after it with different drugs, two different drugs, three different drugs. And so this is the evolving landscape of precision targeting. It's definitely the uh, way of the future. It, it is complex, but we have to meet this complexity head on. Yeah. And I've heard it said in the past that, you know, precision medicine is enabling physicians to treat cancer as a chronic disease. Do you agree with that? Well, yes, I people say that a lot. And uh, they say that because the cancers used to kill, advanced cancer used to kill patients quicker. Now we can slow this process down. So yes, it is turning it into a chronic disease. I hope that eventually we can turn the chronic disease into a cure. I think it's worth noting that we mentioned Laura. It's Laura and her team of supporters that had to do their own research in order to find you and the work that you were doing in your lab. And as we look at the landscape of clinical trials, we see that 85% of patients are treated in the community and you know, only less than 5% of patients participate in clinical trials. What are some of the challenges that you have at an academic center attracting patients from the community to participate in clinical trials? Yeah, you're right. I wish there was many more patients participating on clinical trials. Research would move along much faster. The challenges are on several fronts. Uh, most of them are logistic challenges. The big challenge is the um, financial aspect, the ins insurer coverage aspect. You know, a lot of patients in this area are in HMOs and they're locked into their uh, insurance coverage. They can only go to certain hospitals and doctors. And so they don't have access to us. If they come to a, our university a tertiary care center for treatment, they have to pay it all out of pocket. So there's uh, lock, locked in barriers to this. Second challenge, uh, another challenge is uh, incentive challenges for the private practitioners. You know, most of oncology cancer care is administered in the community by oncologists in their private practices and in their community hospitals. And they need to survive. They need to see patients. They need to have income. And they don't want to give patients away. When they refer a patient to a tertiary care center, oftentimes then they've lost that patient. So there's they don't have an incentive to refer a patient. And then there's also information or educational challenges. Many of the doctors in the local communities, they don't know what's going on at the cutting edge. They don't know that there may be something 
really interesting or exciting happening in this field for this particular type of patient. And so there's information challenges as well. So these are many of the challenges. And we have to help break down some of these barriers. And each one has its own approaches as far as the uh, HMOs and being locked into your own coverage. Maybe legislation can help with that, break down some of those barriers. Patients should have rights to get treatments uh, on clinical trials. As far as the incentives for private practitioners, private oncologists to refer patients, there's some efforts going on here. We're trying to bring them under our umbrella, perhaps call them our affiliates. This has advantages for them. They can advertise themselves, brand themselves as a satellite of our uh, university. But on the other hand, they have an obligation to uh, help us enroll in accruals. So this is some of the ways we're approaching that. As far as the uh, educational challenges, more outreach, more webinars, more conference presentations, podcasts, etc., and hopefully to reach both the patients and the doctors and you know, getting treatment in the community to want to seek or refer to tertiary care centers for clinical studies. Well, it does come down to raising awareness. And for those who are out there listening, Dr. Mawazer, who would like to get in touch with you for collaboration, speaking, or for patients who, who may want to come see you, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? Well, I haven't been doing much social media as a physician. Some doctors do. But uh, the best way to reach with me is to reach me is contact my practice at the hospital at the UCSF Medical Center, and I'll reach back. I have publications in the literature. Patients can respond to the publications. There are online mechanisms to do that as well. And perhaps I should increase my uh, social media presence. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Dr. Mawasser, one of the things that I find about our guests that come on the podcast is your work is fascinating and your dedication to the science is, is phenomenal. But many of our guests are just as fascinating outside of the clinic or the laboratory. And I understand you are a musician. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, uh, I trained all my life in music and studied music in college, in med school, in residency. I was in conservatory in night school. So yeah, I've, I've, music has been a passion of mine and to have a different dimension in your life, a different language, a different set of eyes puts everything into so much more perspective. I don't get time to play piano so much these days, but uh, I attend a lot of concerts. I go to music festivals all the time. Unfortunately, this summer's European music festivals have all been canceled, most yeah. of them, but this is a big passion of mine and it helps illuminate. It gives you a perspective on life, on humanity that you wouldn't otherwise. It's important to have different dimension in your life. Yeah. On your way to the lab, are you are you listening to classic jazz or are you rocking out? <laughs> well, my background and the training is all in classic, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate your efforts, Dr. Mark Moasser, Professor of Medicine at the Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center. Now, Dr. Mawasser, you're living in San Francisco now, and but you trained in the Northeast. So what's what's colder, winter in the Northeast or summer in San Francisco? I know, it does get close, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> San Francisco is generally moderate. The climate here is moderate and all year round. It's, I mean, the Southern Californians think this is cold, you know, but you come from the Northeast and it's a joke. Yeah. So no, I'd say it's pretty moderate here all year round. Well, good stuff. Well, keep doing great things, and we appreciate you for being a guest on the Precision Medicine Podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
You've been listening to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Trapello is the first clinical decision support tool to align the interests of oncologists, labs, and payers to give patients the best chance at beating cancer. To learn more, visit gettrapello.com. To subscribe to the podcast or download transcripts of any episode, visit precisionmedicinepodcast.com. We invite you to join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Twitter at PMP by Trapello or on LinkedIn at the Intervention Insights company page. If you know someone who would enjoy the Precision Medicine Podcast, please share it. They'll thank you, and so will we. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Mm-hmm.